Welcome back to Create Out Loud with me, Jen Loudon. This is the show where we help creatives get their work done, have confidence, and get their work out in the world. This week, we have a really special guest, really wonderful woman, Pamela Slim. She's the author of three books. Her newest book is The Whitest Net. She's been helping creatives and entrepreneurs around the world build and scale successful businesses for more than two decades. She's one of those souls that makes you feel you can do anything in a really grounded way. And one of the things that I really wanted to talk to Pam about, and you're just going to love, is how to really build an ecosystem for your work, no matter what it is. And we're going to address the fears of introverts and not knowing what it is you offer and creatives hating or being afraid to think of themselves in business and so much more. So let's dive in. So you have had an amazing career that I have been privileged to watch, I think, fairly from the beginning. You've really created a beautiful body of work, Pam, which is the title of your second book. One thing that I'm super curious about and I like to touch on on the show a lot is that how creative people let themselves evolve. I think it's something I've been really afraid of and you have not been. I mean, I'm sure you've had your fear, but you've done it and you've done it with this new book, The Whitest Net. Here's a big question to start with. How do you keep doing this? How do you keep letting yourself learn and grow and change? Because it's one of the things I love about you and find really inspiring. I appreciate that. We have been on the journey for a long time together. So <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. It's fun knowing what happens behind the scenes. And for many of my clients, it's a similar kind of struggle of just figuring out how to make decisions. It could be a case, my first blog, and initially my first book, Escape from Cubicle Nation, was mm -hmm. an example of something that's like a really sticky name, an area that a lot of people have interest in. I could play the betting game and say, hey, if I had just waited all those years till the great resignation, <laughs> leverage building a platform, you know, on yes. escape from cubicle nation. But to me, the part that has really allowed me to evolve is that I really follow the work itself. And very mm -hmm. often I follow my clients. This really was in retrospect that I begin to notice the difference. And it's kind of funny. I've found that I have like a prize inside for every book, meaning when I write one book and I get it out there and talk about it for a few years and then work with people doing the work, because I really am an author practitioner, mm -hmm. I'll notice the next stages that begin to evolve as I'm having the conversation. So after Escape, I noticed a couple of years later, everybody was like, you're only creative and cool when you work for yourself. Everybody else is a total loser. Anybody who works in corporate is awful. And I was like, well, that's not true. And many people work in many different work modes. And how can we maybe create a model that's inclusive that allows people to grow and evolve in their body of work. And that's really where that came out. I think the prize inside and escape was probably the focus and the process and prototyping and just on creation where we need to test and try things and not make judgments about it. After I wrote Body of Work, one of the chapters was called, I think, Avatars, Ecosystems and Watering Holes. Mm -hmm. And it was talking about the first parts of when you have a body of work, you want to find an audience for it, which is pretty much everybody I ever worked with was like, okay, I know my thing. I know what I want to build. And then they start to look around and wonder where people are. In following the work is really following the work of my clients and what really that body of work, to quote myself, you know, is leading towards, I will say it has a price, if you will, there are definitely branding and audience building mm -hmm. prices to pay sometimes mm -hmm. for making those pivots. So it's not like it's a perfect world. But to me, I would always rather be where the work is and figure out how to move the rest of my brand to, yeah. to be with it. That's brilliant. There, there's two places I want to go with that. One, I really appreciate you saying there is a price because I know I've paid that price. If I had stayed talking about self-care and comfort, I'm sure I could have built a multi 
hundred million dollar a year company, but I got bored. We have to listen to that call as creative people. Where is the energy? But we have to balance it with paying the bills for sure. And you and I have supported our families and we know about doing that balancing job. And then I want to go back to a word you use, inclusivity and justice and inclusivity and equity have been such a huge part of your life, deeply baked into who you are from your family to your best friend, to all of your work. Do you think it's shaped your creative choices? Yeah, for sure. Reflecting on my work, because it really goes back to college. Like it does. I was going to say that. Was, yes. <laughs> my, my degree in college was, was international development. It was looking at community development and non-formal education in particular as a tool for social and economic change. So it was always that interest. I came from a family, especially my dad, of activists, people who were always really mm-hmm. interested in like doing things to make the world a better place. Also, the way I know myself and just my interest, what I was drawn to from the time that I was an exchange student in high school. And, you know, I went to Switzerland, which is Switzerland. <laughs> but, you know, actually, I met people from all over the world there. There were other exchange wow. students from Venezuela and Ghana and, you know, all over the place in that exploration. And I think then just in my own community building, linked probably with a value on justice, just always feeling a connection the way I don't really know exactly where our values come from. Some people say we're born with them. Who knows what's nature versus nurture? Todd Henry says it this way, I think, in his book, Die Empty. What are you willing to lay your body? down for and say, not on my watch. I always just notice and just pay attention if there's something just blatantly that has to do with human rights and justice. It just immediately is the thing where I'm just willing to lay my body down for it. And now I happen to have my husband's Navajo. My kids are, you know, Navajo and Anglo. So there's a lot of personal reasons, a lot of really close people in my family circle. For me, it's just the nature of the work that I'm really called to do. It's interesting, you know, just noticing the way the work evolves throughout the years, it is something when you make that conscious choice and really talk about your identity. My own identity as a white woman, now a middle-aged soccer mom, you know, (laughs) suburban white woman, and one that's involved in doing a lot of community, inclusive community building. It's a complex dynamic, really understanding what is the appropriate role for me to play? Mm -hmm. What is my focus on that? And that's, I think, part of the ongoing evolution as I learn about the work. It shows in how you do your broader work, if you will, because part of what you do in all three of the books and in your coaching and in your events and in your learning lab in Mesa, Arizona, and the newest book, I want to keep mentioning the name of The White is Net, (laughs) is you are willing to take on complexity. You're willing to not dumb things down or package them in a way that makes I don't know. I don't want to say makes it easy because it's not that the book is hard. The concepts are hard. I think that's really reflected in all of your work that you're willing to get in there with those complex ideas. And Absolutely. And I think the model in the widest net of looking at community building a framework for really how it is you can think about your business, mm-hmm. like either building if people are involved in movements or they're wanting to find an audience or customers for their business. To me, it's more like a puzzle. It is mm-hmm. the way I'm oriented toward the big mm-hmm. picture. And I spend a lot of years thrashing around in like vague trying to figure out how the pieces fit together. It's like where I've lost the top of the box and there's a couple of missing puzzle pieces that are under the table somewhere that I can't find. The dog ate one. That to me is the part that while I'm in the middle of trying to figure it out can be confusing. It is a part of what I feel I can do to make a contribution to the world is once I figure it out, I really enjoy creating models where pieces fit together 
to make mm -hmm. it easier for people to do things that I think mm -hmm. inherently they're wanting to do. You said in a few places that you really, I think in the book itself, you struggled to mm -hmm. write this newest book, The Way This Now. Oh, yeah. Why do you think that was? Do you think it's because of the complexity? Why was it hard and what helped finally to get it to gel? I wish I knew. I think because <laughs> I sure put more research time, energy, and I really had the core components that were clear mm -hmm. and I was, am still today, will be for a long time, extremely passionate about the topic. It feels fresh to me. I think it might have been a combination between writing during a global pandemic and mm. the nature of the work I do day to day. I'm holding space for amazing, wonderful clients, always really trying to be a very anchored person who can help guide through people through uncertain times. And there's one part, it's totally a hypothesis and understanding my own creative process. When I was doing that as a coach throughout all the time in which I was working during quarantine, it felt very natural. I didn't feel lots of stress or anxiety in doing that. It felt good to do it. For some reason, when it came to holding space for myself creatively, it's like that's where everything was like, sorry, <laughs> the container is no longer there. Holding space for ourselves. What a beautiful phrase. And what a difficult thing to do, especially during these tumultuous times. And yet, as imperfectly as we may do it, as short as periods of time as we may be able to do it, and I hope that we ask for help to do it, it's essential or we won't get our work done. But I know from my own creative struggles that it's so much easier to give to my students and my clients and my family and my dogs <laughs> than to really hold that space for myself. So I'd love you to think, what's one way this week I could hold better space for myself? Not perfectly, not brilliantly, but just a little bit more lovingly. And I'd say the usual message from this show is start with self-compassion. I was so distracted. I would start to go in and write and I would get distracted. I counted, this is sad because I really do generally love to write and can find some good writing days. You've written a bunch of books, you understand. I have one day in the entire writing process of this oh. book where I felt that like real creative joy of just getting in the flow. There was a fleeting moment here and there, mm -hmm. but that's part of sometimes doing the work as a writer mm -hmm. is just continuing to write. And the joy really comes when it does come together, working with an editor, you know, knowing mm -hmm. that it's together now, it brings me great joy to have it there mm -hmm. and functional. But I think that was it. And then also I'm 55. So I just turned 55 this year. I think maybe menopause was another reason for it. I haven't again had a whole bunch of different symptoms or anything personally, but I've heard and read things that sometimes it can be a little bit harder for focus during that mm -hmm. time. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what it was that was, was so hard, but oof, <laughs> you know what I love about that answer, though, Pam, is that there's not judgment attached to it. And there's and I know you're on the other side and I'm holding the book, right? And there's something really fabulous about being Thank on the God. Side and holding the book or the painting or the quilt or the, the business plan or whatever it is. I also think one of the things you really bring to yourself and to your work is a real spaciousness and kindness. And I love hearing that in your answer. I think that's always what I tell my clients. And I always say, I will never ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. And that really helps me actually to know that we're on a shared journey. I just try to be curious about it and pay mm -hmm. attention to it. Mm -hmm. And I knew without the shadow of a doubt that this is something that I wanted to write that needed to be written. I really wanted to bring this framework out in the world as an alternative to all the empire building, crush, smash, hustle. you know, look at me, hustle, influencer stuff. And I really do. I try and sincerely to, to recognize, which I really believe to be true. Everybody is going 
a find and connect a different way sure. that feels resonant with them for how they market their business. So it sounded a bit snarky there, but there are certain components of that empire building model, the way that we're teaching people how to build a business that I think are actually really harmful. And I think play into white supremacy culture and the patriarchy and, and people feeling very like something's wrong with them if they don't want to just completely center themselves and become the perfect person or believe they have to have all the answers. I just don't think that that's actually accurate to how it is that we really help our clients and bring work out into the world. That's a part of it where I thought, this is really important for me to be creating a model where people can see I can be strong and capable and feel good about what I'm offering. And I can choose to collaborate with others. And I can note if I might see different competitors in the field, sometimes have that pang of jealousy, which we all have. Over to God, uh -huh. God, how did she? Oh, I just, oh my God, look at that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we're human. We have that experience. But then if we can lean into it and really say, okay, it's a big old huge honking space. If we're either trying to help people bring creative work out into the world or write books, some of the many things you do, that's hard. There are so many people who want to bring a message or space for a lot of people. Same thing with building businesses. Mm -hmm. There are so many businesses built each day. And so if I notice that somebody is really dialed in and jamming on an element that probably is not my strength, it really forces me to get much more clear within that ecosystem that surrounds my ideal client and within my ecosystem of peers, where is a place where I can really shine? Where's that mm -hmm. spot where I can and really focus. And that I think is something that just helps us to keep our edges really sharp. I so agree with the empire building. I think it puts off, especially people who identify as women, people who feel not represented in our culture are even more alienated by the empire building. It feels even less available to them and introverts. It feels even less available to us yeah. to be that kind of, oh, look at me, look at me. To me, the widest net is a very humane and human-centered way to approach business building and marketing. And creatives, do not tune out right now if you're like, but I don't have a business. <laughs> yes, you do. If you want to sell your work, it's not a dirty word. You start with having people really name their mission and their audience. And that is a, a place that I know a lot of creatives that I've worked with over the years, they just freak. Like their <laughs> heart comes right up in their throat and they're it, and they're going to put the book down. And I even had a little bit of that, you know, 35 years into this work. Thinking about creatives in particular, is there something you might say to them to help them get through that knot? There's stuff in the widest net that I, I've never heard anybody else express the way that you do. Mm, yeah. People have experienced a lot of harm when searching for their singular life purpose or just feeling uh, like, yes. what's wrong with me? Because like, what's the next thing? I don't know. Nothing really moves me. It's why in body of work, I use mm -hmm. the metaphor of roots and I use roots plural with an S mm -hmm. because when I'm talking about something like a mission, let's just use different language around it because basically what we're looking for when we're looking for places, I call them watering holes in person and online where like groups of our ideal customers or audience might be that we need to figure out the context of like, what are people interested in or what kind of problems are they sharing? We talked about climate change just mm -hmm. earlier before we jumped on this interview. I know a lot of folks in my world are interested working on that area. Mm -hmm. So we can have an emotional connection of all kinds of emotions, something that makes us mad, something that makes us scared, something that brings us great delight, brings us great joy. For me, it's organizing shows. I swear to God, I can, I can watch any 
any damn, my house is a mess and it will be transformed into, you know, the home edit organizer, queer eye, you bring it all. I could watch all of them probably back to back for a month straight. I cannot get enough of it because that's always going to be something that's a root for me that just provides this great joy of looking at transformation, which is a core part of my work. Talk about mission. Sometimes it can feel like heavy and like it's going to be on our, you know, tombstone. Like, Don't worry so much about that. Pay attention to yourself emotionally and just notice, I used to say to clients, become a heat guided missile and just notice when are you really drawn toward things that evoke a strong emotional reaction. Pay attention to that. And at any given time, especially for folks who are artists or might be driven more creatively by, you know, poetry or art or movement, that it could be a very, like a value around appreciation of beauty or just like, God, you know, like there are fun. There's just not enough, you know, energy or movement or light in the world or scent. I'm interested in candle making because I realize I don't have a hobby. Like I haven't had a hobby in like 20 years. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? I don't have a hobby. Little things like that. Like fun would it be to be bringing nice non-toxic scents into an environment? These are all examples of how you pay attention to just what do you respond to emotionally that can give you clues about things that you might want to contribute through your own creative energy Mm. that would help make things a little bit better, might help solve a part of a problem, might bring some of that which you're really drawn to into the world, joy, energy, creativity, inspiration, all of that. That's the place to start. I really encourage you to not look for one single life purpose because I don't know, I don't think I have one. I think our life purpose is to be fully alive. Yeah. Just to be fully ourselves and be fully alive. And that's the root for me. Right. A place to play is another way to think about it. Uh, like, yeah. What Lego do you want to build? What playground right. do you want to hang out on? What campground would be really fun? You'd like the desert, the beach, the mountains. Mm-hmm. It gives you a sense of space and place mm-hmm. in which you can go to start connecting. And, and so if those kind of metaphors can help people, everything about the way that I view our work and connecting with audiences about building things, right? Building things together and building things to help make things better. And so that's just a way to kind of orient you of all the things that you could do and the way you could share your energy. What are you helping to build? And you're going to build a whole bunch of different things throughout the course of your life. And that goes back to what you were talking about empire building. And can you just tell us a little bit about empires versus ecosystems? Yeah, it's a common metaphor that's used in building businesses. And it just tends to center this idea that if you want to be successful, first of all, what your job is as a marketer is just to be bringing everybody to you. And so very much you have to be the happiest, shiniest expert. Often you are, people are talking about how it is that you just like develop authority within a topic and sometimes Mm -hmm. like skipping steps as if the end goal is just to be perceived as an authority, Mm -hmm. as opposed to somebody who's actually passionately interested in working on a solution. In the empire culture, a lot of it is just about looking at people as numbers. So it's very transactional. It's very much based on like, how many people do you have? How many fans, followers? And we use language like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas an ecosystem, you're centering who is somebody you would consider to be an ideal client or customer, you know, reader of your book or purchaser of your art, a client of your business and saying for that thing that they're trying to do. So my clients are generally trying to grow their businesses. They are surrounded by a natural ecosystem made of all kinds of people, organizations, associations, thought leaders, companies that produce software, you know, to help us run our businesses. All of us are really organized around trying to help that ideal client to solve their problem. Look really 
at marketing via an ecosystem, you are looking to see how can you really understand that ecosystem and be very strategic into where you spend your time. Because there are these watering holes, places in person online, like a podcast is an example, mm -hmm. where you've spent a lot of years building an audience, connecting, right, nurturing folks. And I can show up here on a Monday afternoon as we're recording, probably meet people that I've never had the chance to meet before. That if I was just trying to yell out on the internet or on Facebook saying, hey, people, please come buy my stuff, it wouldn't have the same kind of connection mm -hmm. is where you and I are seeing how we have highly complementary things to offer. I call them being PB&J partners, peanut butter and jelly partners, right? Looking at it that way, you become more part of this whole web of people, net, if you will, who are really organized around how supporting your clients to, to solve their problems. To me, it's more fun, it's easier, and it's more strategic of knowing where should you spend your time. Now, you're an incredible relationship builder. You're the top in my mind of one people I've ever met in terms of building relationships, keeping them up, genuinely loving people. But some people who I will not name, but who may be speaking right now, aren't as good at that. <laughs> and you tell this fantastic story in the book about Heather Krause, who is an introvert, and it just made me cringe in recognition and also <laughs> laugh out loud. So I thought before we dive in a little bit more to some of your ideas, which I, I really think chapter five and six are some of the most amazing work I've ever seen really laying out how to create this ecosystem and think about watering holes and beacons too. But can you just tell us Heather's story briefly? Because I think it'll really take the introvert's threat defense response down. <laughs> For sure. Oh, Heather. I love Heather so much. She is a client of mine in Toronto who's a data scientist and she's a self-proclaimed introvert. And we started working together when she had a strong idea. One of her roots that she felt very passionately about was reducing bias within data science. And she really wanted to create a method that would help train other data scientists about how to do that. She had worked as a consultant for many years and with nonprofits around the world. As we were doing our business building, this is the part to me that's really the truth of what I'm doing as a business coach, because I am very much extroverted, having conversations with people pretty much anywhere walking down the street, super simple. <laughs> and so we started to do some of these exercises and she's like, Pam, I just want you to know like how much I've spent my entire life avoiding building community. I dislike it so much that if I go to the Starbucks and they begin to know my name, I will drive 10 kilometers to the other one so they don't know my name. I mean, she's so funny. Like we would laugh hysterically about that. Every assumption that I had as we were beginning to do these exercises, for her, we did an ecosystem analysis of noticing where are some the watering holes connections, people who are working in a connected way within data science, where she could just reach out and do like a 15 to 20 minute conversation with them. And to me, like doing that analysis is sort of the tough part. And then I'm like, great, have a 15 minute conversation. You know, who are you? Who am I? Bam. So I'm feeling all confident, like send her <laughs> off with her exercise. She comes back and, she, and I was like, so how was it? You know, trying to be all like happy coach because I'm so great because I gave her this great exercise. And she was like, it was awful. It was terrible. I felt like I needed to text a friend to like text me in the middle of a date because it was so terrible. What it taught me is where people are wired just differently. And I know a lot about introverts. My whole family are introverts. And then I spent 18 months with Susan Cain, the author of Quiet. Mm -hmm. If anybody's read that great book, Helping Her to Build the Quiet Revolution. So I thankfully have gotten a lot of insight into to the strengths of introverts and just how y'all are wired differently. Mm -hmm. And what Heather said, once we got this rhythm where she had a specific agenda and kind of knew exactly what she was doing, it became much easier. She's done an amazing job of building an incredible 
incredible organization that's just had tremendous growth. Now she has more of a team and, you know, they do a lot of things that really are community building, which doesn't feel so horrible now that she mm -hmm. has them. But I like to bring that lens because First of all, there is nothing that says that you have to have a gigantic audience. Some people, there's a little play on words in a way. When I say the widest net, some people might think I'm just saying you should sell right. everything to everyone. It actually is really saying that there is this huge connected net of people who are supportive, where together we're not going to let anybody fall. I know people who have five or six clients a year mm -hmm. and that's it because they have the kind of service that they offer or maybe certain artists with favored patrons that love their work where you don't have to have a gigantic audience, but it's about being strategic in how it is that you're doing that. Let's talk about that now. Let's <laughs> dig into that. I know you're not going to tell us everything and you all have to get the book because I have already implemented things. I mean, I am really learning and excited because building the whole ecosystem approach has always been like, I've understood it, but how do you actually do it? And you actually lay out, how do you actually do it? So can you give us enough of a taste that people will A, buy the book and B, start, do something today? For sure. So the idea of an ecosystem is really based very deliberately on a model in the book. I'm really clear about what it is conceptually. So you have your ideal client or customer that's in the center of that ecosystem and they're trying to get something done. So let's say they're trying to write a book and they're very interested in that. If that person's in the center around them, there are 10 different segments of the ecosystem wheel of places in person online where they generally tend to go for information. And so that can be everything from, they might belong to an association, they might listen to different media hubs. I'm a huge like podcast listener. I love to listen to podcasts on my way to and from work. <laughs> <laughs> they probably have some favorite authors that talk about the topic. They might go to events that are all about that. So mm -hmm. there are all these specific places where you can look in the ecosystem of places where other people are also providing great information, resource, contact tools for your ideal client. We are part of that ecosystem. So when you know that and you say, okay, I always sit swear in the service provider area as more of a consultant and a coach. So with people who are trying to grow their business, I am part of that ecosystem. My job really very deliberately is to figure out, okay, I'm looking forward for where to spend my activities. I need to know what am my ideal clients? How do they really get information? Do they love podcasts like me? Are they like TikTok users? Do they, you know, read blogs? Are they totally away from social media and tend to like something like an email newsletter? And when I can understand really where they hang out, the metaphor I've been using lately is if you think about it, if you had like 30 minutes to solve completely the problem that you're in the business to solve, and you could call the Justice League, your own personal Justice League of the very best people that each have superpowers that are highly complementary to you to solve those problems, who would those people be? That's really that strategic analysis that you do to figure out who are people I need to connect with, maybe partnerships I can form, podcasts I should be on. And then the part of it, I think that kind of balances, maybe you doing connections, you showing up in places where people have already gathered others, is that you do have to really want to have a vehicle for sharing your own point of view. I call this your beacon. So that's a really strategic choice that you make about 
a primary communication vehicle in which you really share your point of view. That's where you say, this is what I believe, and this is how I think this problem should be solved. That could be a podcast. That could be an email list. I generally advise for people to choose a beacon that is something that they control and own as opposed to a social media platform that one could be kicked off of. Yes, I was recently kicked off of Instagram for saying vagina. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Seriously, dude. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Like, there what you if go. you put your entire like, business on Instagram marketing efforts, right? Yeah. Right away, what comes up for me is I'm really bad at research. I'm really bad at finding those, what would you call them branches of the ecosystem or segments? Yeah. Segments, segments okay. Areas, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tide pools. <laughs> what are some of the ways that you would help me? Okay, I love all this. I love your book so much, but then I'm like, uh, I'm sitting down at the computer. It's Tuesday morning. It's my marketing time. I'm like, ah, now what do I do? Exactly. So that's, I think, first where you can know yourself. And there are people who naturally are wired to think like that, to think Mm -hmm. in connections, to be thinking big picture strategically, who see connections between areas. So one thing I've I've seen some clients do is to hire, I actually love to hire librarians. (laughs) I think librarians are the bee's knees. They I used to love to hang out in the library. Yes, me and too. If you would imagine somebody whose job it, it is or was at least for many years to, to answer every kind of question you could possibly think of and be aware of a whole variety of resources, somebody like that sometimes, you know, somebody who really is a researcher can often be good where you're like, I have no idea what kinds of events there are in my space happening mm-hmm. in 2022. Mm-hmm. But often somebody who has that skill and there could be virtual assistants or people mm-hmm. you could pay a rather nominal fee, healthy, mm-hmm. equitable, to be clear, always, but, always, no, but not, not, a, well. huge, not mm-hmm. a huge fee Investment. can sometimes come with that first spreadsheet worth of answers that you can then sort through. The other thing is if you already have worked with people who you love, there's a section in the book where I have really that starter kit of questions. And that could be where you ask three to five people who are your ideal clients, just simple things like, what is your favorite podcast that's related to this work that we're doing together? What's your favorite product that you use in order to run your business? Mm -hmm. Is there another thought leader or influencer or service provider that you work with? That is probably the most ripe area for folks who are coaches or consultants, Mm -hmm. because I know for me as a business coach, every single day I'm working with intellectual property attorneys, web designers, copywriters, brand strategists. My clients are all working with those folks as well. So if I simply start to ask my favorite clients, who are the other people who you work with? Who's your CPA? With those peanut butter and jelly, highly complimentary kind of relationships, often that could be kicking off a whole bunch of referrals just within a couple of your favorite clients' arenas. Call it the accordion principle is you have to go out and that's where you sort of like feel the enormity of the universe and just need to go lay down and take a nap. (laughs) Then you need to go, you're like, whoa, there's more opportunity than I ever thought possible. Oh my gosh. And then you need to really narrow in and say, where is a specific place that I could start today? And to me, that's always asking your favorite clients, got to be your favorite ones. Who are your favorite other service providers? And then maybe a couple other questions about where they get support for their problem. That is often enough to begin the process of you generating some marketing activity. I'm putting myself in my listeners' shoes right now. And some of them are thinking, I am completely freaked out. This takes courage to do this work. I have to believe Mm -hmm. in my work. I have to trust my brilliance. 
I can't do that. So I'm going to go watch Netflix. I love Netflix. Um, so <laughs> nothing wrong with that. I just watched it this weekend. It's our own leadership journey. I think our own journey really towards ourselves to understanding ourselves and essentially getting to that place. There's a, a metaphor that wasn't a metaphor when, when he said it, but my son, Josh, who's now almost 17, when he was seven, I had a marketing conference here in the Phoenix area. I asked him if he would introduce me at the front of the event. There's maybe 75 people or something in the audience. And so he said yes, and we were getting closer to the event. And the night before I said, Josh, it really is no pressure. If you want to do it, great. But if you don't, that's okay too. And he looked at me and he goes, mom, I'm just a little bit more excited than I am scared. I love it. And that just became like, we shared that and it became the theme for the whole conference. He actually stood up to introduce me and froze. And so then I went over and I stood next to him and he like kind of grabbed onto my leg and then he kept going. So it was another good modeling of the fact that you can call in reinforcements. The place for connection, the place really where I do look at what gets very existential, but has become so relevant for me in these last couple of years is we really do have limited time. This is it. It is scary for sure. But if there is that orientation to saying like, I'm willing to take a small step and to do something toward what I believe is something where I could make a contribution, whether I'm brilliant or not, like that, that's not even often a consideration. Mm -hmm. Can I be of help? Could I build something that would be enjoyable to build or that somebody could find value in? That really is the area that gets us going. It's not until often way afterward, like I told you the really difficult time I had writing this book. And I had all those thoughts like, oh my God, it's been six years since I've had a book out. Do I have it anymore? Is there like anybody who's even going to pay any attention? And once it got out, I very thankfully was just named best sales and marketing book of 2021 by Porchlight Books, which is a, a big business bookseller that I really admire. Beautiful. But I tell you, if, if you had told me that back when I was having that huge struggle, like I literally had no idea if anybody was going to like laugh at it, like it, understand it. That was my experience with the work. If I was trying to be brilliant at that point and to write an award-winning book, I never would have gotten it done. It's sure. like, what needs to be said here? And why is it important that I share this message? And how is it more important for me to take action and have discomfort rather than not doing anything. And I think that's just the daily, I'm a really huge believer in just small actions and, and tiny, tiny habits. Yeah. I call them for my writers, teeny, tiny containers. A couple more questions. Your, how did your book launch strategy for the widest net change from the last book body of work or the first book escape from cubicle nation? Yeah. Escape guess was the first one. So I, man, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, which is probably the best place to be. And there it's were so much 50, more fun. thousand courses <laughs> telling you, Yes, yes. But in those days, back when I was more of a blogger, my blog was actually the main marketing vehicle. And that was something I did regularly. So I think that helped to know people. In body of work, it's funny because when I turned in the manuscript, literally the day after I turned it in is when I started working with Susan Kane for the Quiet Revolution. And so that was a project that I, I helped kind of from the ground up to be working and supporting she and her team and doing. I did activities like, you know, organizing those people who I knew, having certain interviews or podcasts. I think it was maybe writing some articles for other people, mm -hmm. but I feel like for body of work, because I was, I am kind of a creative at heart where I love to create probably a little bit more, than <laughs> love to promote. 
but that I didn't probably put quite as much energy into it. For this one, I did something that I love and I, I hope to do always moving forward, which is I created an invitation to what I call Launch Lab, where I invited people in to really just give a back-end kind of understanding about the process. And we were actually implementing and talking about different parts of the book. I really modeled in my launch oh, beautiful. using the collaboration as a way of making connections and building an audience. And so I shared that. I brought in a lot of the, what I call the main characters in the book, people who were in the stories who came and talked to the group. We talked about it behind the scenes because there is something in book launches of having like your ambassadors or people mm -hmm. who will stand up, raise their hand for you. It feels a little bit empire culture-y sometimes where it's like, yeah, basically, it I'm does. just going to tell you like, yeah. When you're all ready to go, like write your yeah. Amazon review, it's such a balance because <laughs> sometimes when you are super collaborative, you don't always get as many like tactical things like that. Mm -hmm. You can build a lot more energy if that's the only thing people are thinking about. But philosophically, it was like this whole book is about how working together, we can better support, understand each other and to do something in collaboration that felt like it was reciprocal, felt much more in line. And so it was just a really wonderful experience. It provided a lot of support to me emotionally as I was like mm -hmm. going through the launch. One thing I was really grounded in that I think will be the case for any book forevermore is we really can't control what happens. Like it created the plan. I was honest to execute according to it. But my book launch date moved three times because of supply chain issues. You know, there's just so much you can't count on that for this one, it's really built into everything about the way that I do my work and everything about what, the way I approach it. I did not let myself get super stressed out. Thank God. So I wasn't exhausted and I didn't have a huge emotional high and low. That's really hard to do. And sometimes you sell fewer books initially yeah, at yeah. launch. In my past experience, it depends on your objective. If you have a you know big contract from a big five publisher, often you have that pressure to invest a lot mm -hmm. more money and activity to do it. It's part of just being in that business relationship. But if you have a little bit more leeway to be spreading out your advocacy for the book and messaging over a longer period of time, most publishers in the long run just want you to consistently sell books like yes. over time, as opposed to just, you know, there's just such a small amount of people who hit the list, the mm -hmm. New York Times or whatever list mm -hmm. that you want to. It's, it's just a hard thing to do. And these days it's pay to play in many cases. It, it is. It's it's really become a useless metric. It still matters to people, but it, it's not useful at all. And one of the things you said towards the end of the book is you talk about preparing for heartbreak mm. when you're going to do business this way. And you specifically talk about when you transition to a new biz model, you may need to stop serving some of your favorite customers. And I've been there and I have the feeling I may be there again soon. I just thought you could touch on that briefly for us. Like, how do you deal with this? How have you dealt with this as you've evolved to go back to the beginning of our conversation? This is a really important part, I think, of talking about building a business that is more relational mm -hmm. is when we have human relationships, there is going to be heartache. There are going to be breakups sometimes. There are going to be times where you have to set clear boundaries and allow yourself to evolve much like you would in a friendship, you know, when mm -hmm. you have like a friend circle or neighborhood, you know, where you've known people for a long time, or you may think that you have a great fit for a partnership and you want to do something together and you get down the road and you realize that it didn't work. I mean, maybe you didn't show up the way that mm -hmm. you want to as a partner. Maybe the other person didn't. Learning how to navigate this to me 
that's the edge I know personally for me that is my leadership edge of really, it's why it's so important to understand the big picture, why this is important to do Mm -hmm. and why it's important to really understand what your values are Mm -hmm. and to have things in place in order to really make decisions based on your values. Because you can move in and out of relationships with people, which can be difficult and painful, but they can also feel aligned. And you can also be have lots of love for anybody who's not in your circle anymore, but you can understand the reason why it is that you're making these decisions. It's one of those things that's like, isn't there in coaching some kind of model of adult development? I've never like read all the books about it, but I find it fascinating if there are different stages mm-hmm, of development mm-hmm. of, uh, for us as adults mm-hmm. and different kinds of emotional skills that we probably have as we move through that if you're only just triggered by like everybody should love me all the time ever in relationship with people and it goes away then it means that's something I have to agonize over for the rest of my life that is so hard (laughs) I don't wish that for anybody as we get more mature we're gonna have those pangs we're gonna feel those feelings and cry those tears sometimes but you still can really stay focused and say I'm so glad that I went through that that I you know was in relationship for that period of time I'm so thankful to those customers where I was able to deliver something at that point that they really needed. And I'm glad to model for them that I needed to evolve as a creative person, just like I'm never going to blame them if they grow and evolve out of my own community, which is the other side of it. You're going to have that, right? Somebody who you love and adore, who you you think thinks you're the greatest coach in the world, and they end up growing and evolving and moving on with somebody else. Like that's what you want, I think. I do. But it can really feel hard. So that part of it is our own work, I think, as leaders mm-hmm. to be able to just understand ourselves and always stay focused on why is this important? What am I building? And channeling the you know four agreements, like don't take things personally. <laughs> I write that in my journal a lot. Don't take this personally. Don't take this personally. <laughs> Even if somebody is directly looking at you and saying like, you're the, yeah. you're the reason, you're, yeah. you're, it's your yeah. fault. So I like to ask my guests a last question. Mm-hmm. What do you want to learn next? Mm. So there are two specific things, because I thought about this a lot for this coming year, because I'm really excited to be learning. One of them, strangely enough, is about Web 3.0 and just mm-hmm. all of this new emerging world of how I had no idea when I was writing the book that all this stuff was happening within the, you know, crypto and Mm -hmm. NFT and world, which I was like, I have no idea what that means. It turns out there's some components of that that actually are really in alignment with the book. I'm never going to be naturally drawn to all the bits and bytes of it, but I want to understand enough to understand like where the economy is going and particularly Mm -hmm. historically for people who have always traditionally been left out mm-hmm. of new innovations to be learning so that we can be sharing and make sure that everybody is benefiting from a new way of being you know, in the economy. I think the other part that I'm really interested in is I was listening to a podcast with Guy Kawasaki and one of the teachers from the design school at Stanford, mm-hmm. and he talked about design thinking. This was something that just made my head just go, made everything make sense. Design thinking has three components, psychology, art, and engineering engineering. I tell you throughout these last probably five years in particular, since we've been doing work here at the learning lab and doing work with my clients, I feel really good about my psychological understanding of clients. I'm really good at the art part, creating models, but I just had this thing of like, I'm missing the engineering part, actually creating like really well-crafted, maybe it's, you know, tools, templates, maybe apps, things to actually help people to implement. 
And it's one of those things that's sort of this random little insight, you know, on a podcast. But I just thought, oh my gosh, I want to dive all the way into design thinking and just connect myself with as many incredible engineers as possible. Because I feel like that's a missing link for my work to evolve. And when you're learning about crypto and NFTs, you'll be bringing up the fact that it's so bad for the climate. The exactly. The way they're producing everything right now is, a, is such a disaster. And it really bums me out when I think about all the creative people that are going to get all and just Walmart just announced that they're getting into it. I'm like, oh, my God. How are you going to do this in a responsible way? Exactly. So, and it's one of those things. It's probably like the design thinking is like Mm -hmm. the, oh my gosh, playground, intellectual Mm -hmm. playground. Like this is so cool. And this other one is I probably am a little bit more scared than I am excited (laughs) for a whole variety of different reasons, but I always want to know what is happening and not put your head in in order to be informed, kind of like Mm -hmm. what's happening politically, you know, what's Mm -hmm. happening in the world that feels Mm -hmm. like something that's really important for me to not ignore. So I totally agree with you. There's really disturbing components of it as there always are. Well, Pam, I knew it would be a fantastic, useful, grounding, heart opening conversation. I thank you so much, everyone. You have to check out The Whitest Net. Not just check it out, but it's one of those books you have to own because you have to keep looking at the questions and the exercises. Go get yourself a copy right now. I appreciate <laughs> it. And I do have a, a workbook that's not, you don't need an email trade for it. If you just go to PamelaSlim.com forward slash The Whitest Net, no okay. space. There's a workbook that has all the exercises in the book that you can download and there's a sample ecosystem map. So that's something that people can get some more resources around. And, and I'll be doing classes and things like that for people who want to get some hands-on support throughout the year. Yeah. So get on Pam's email list and we'll always include the links to all of this good stuff in the show notes. And the best show notes are always at jenniferloudon.com. So here's the thing. I had Pamela on because I need her advice because I love this book and because I am committed. I'm committing to you right here, right now to actually working the ideas in it. I am not good at growing that ecosystem. I actually am better at hiding than I am at creating out loud when it comes to sharing my work. And that's kind of out of integrity. I I coach lots of people, uh, creatives and writers to really get their work done, but then share it. And one of the things I think is gonna be more of the focus of my work going forward is owning that for myself and then helping other people do it. Because if we don't share our work, if we're not a champion for our work, not in the empire building, but in the ecosystem building way that Pam so beautifully spoke about, nobody else is gonna do it for us. It's really sad when I see myself and other people create these really beautiful things in whatever realm and nobody gets to enjoy them. And the scale that they enjoy them on or the way they enjoy them is of course up to us and not controllable by us all the the time, but that we learn to make those connections. So remember, you can come over to jenniferloudon.com, click on podcast right there at the top, and then you'll be able to get the links to Pam's book and to her free workbook and to other things that we talked about. So it's always where the best show notes are and that's always where the best place is to share the episode with a friend and say, hey, I learned a couple of things in this episode. I'd love to sit down and discuss them with you. I think this could be a really great way for us to support each other in growing our ecosystem and finding our, our watering holes and creating our beacon. And this is my beacon. So I hope you'll share it with a couple of creative people this week who need help getting the word out about their work in a way that feels heartfelt and in integrity and sustainable. 
Great question. We have the amazing artist, designer, author, athlete, activist, joy monger, Lisa Cogden. And if you don't know her work, you are going to love her as a person and everything she has to say about making a living as an artist and developing your voice as an artist. She wrote a fabulous book about that. Living your values, working with other partnerships, a lot of partnerships, having your own shop. Oh my God, this woman does it all. And she is delightful. Can't wait to share her with you next week. And oh, did I mention that you have some homework? You know what it is. Create out loud. See you next week.